Well, good morning, Disciples Church family, both here and through the broadcast. We welcome you this morning. Hope that your Independence Day celebrations this weekend have been a joy and a blessing. And uh, if your part of the city that you live in was anything like the part of the city that I lived in, the uh, lack of professional aerial fireworks shows this year due to COVID-19 was not a lack. It was a full surround sound. So hopefully uh, people are okay and thankful for our firefighters. My dad was a fireman for 30 years and I always remember that unique perspective, especially back in the day with shake shingles. Uh, kids, you just have to ask your parents what that is. Um, anyway, praise God. Thankful to be with you this morning. Very thankful for God's word. In our language, access to it. If you'll grab that Holy Bible and open it to the letter of Ephesians, we've got some good work to do this morning. Lots to cover in just uh, a verse and a half. As we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. My sermon today is focused on the end of verse 2 and all of verse 3 as we continue to study Paul's command that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Specifically today, love. We'll look at love. We'll look at unity and peace. Let's read the passage starting with verse 1, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. That was our focus last week. And this week, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church, whether it's through the email online, the bulletin that we gave you in PDF form, or in your hands this morning is the outline today's sermon. I pray with your Bibles you would put some pen to paper, take some good notes this morning for our follow-through and what we've heard. Looking at the first point here at the end of verse 2, Paul gives one of the many one-anothers we see in the New Testament in Holy Scripture. Over 60 times the phrase one-another appears in the New Testament, and the one-another that we see more than any of the rest is that we are to love one another. In the one another's, we see a beautiful picture of God's intention for his children, his redeemed children, those whom he saves from eternal punishment and slavery to sin. He ransoms us and adopts us as his very own. In one another, we see how the love of Christ is at work in God's people, also known as the church. Church, we must rightly embrace the seriousness of God in his call upon us to live out the one another's. Understand, the living God chose to save us into something very special, into a family, an eternal family, a family unlike any other family. In our unity as the family of God, he's given us a very special relationship to one another that he wants us to value dearly to protect to invest into and to cultivate it is so important that we not only understand his design for our family in this way but that we steward it well because God uses our unity as a redeemed family to make his gospel his good news of Jesus shine bright like a light in the darkness The sad reality is that far too many modern churchgoers are ignorant of the kind of deep unity God intends us to have, so they're guilty of staying on the margins, on the outside edge, and are all too content with a more religious or formal experience with the church than to truly and fully enjoy the blessings that come with being active and faithful participants in God's family. Paul is going to build on all that he said in chapter 1 through 3. 
regarding the wonderful truth about who God is and what he has done to make us his, by drawing the saints' focus into the beautiful unity of God that he's created and commanded the church to have and to protect. He helps us thrive in unity by first focusing on our love for one another. Let's first remember where our love for one another comes from. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Why do we bear with one another, as the text today calls for? Because the love of God, church, is at work in us. Why do we love one another? Because God first loved us and put his love into us. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says, Romans 12.10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The word Paul uses for love here refers to a special kind of love. It refers to a a tender affection, a, a family affection. Peter gave the church the same emphasis in 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. It is something much more than just treating each other well. It is something from the heart, something earnest, something with fervor. Something with family affection for each other. Philippians 1.8, Paul says to the church, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. The word affection here is, is a descriptor for intestines, for, for in, inner organs. The idea is, I long for you, I love you, not just with an act of willpower, but a deep and tender affection. I miss you, I'm homesick for you. The point is that it is the will of God for his children to not just do good things for each other, not not to just pray for each other or speak decently to each other. Those are critical And demand the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish. But God's will for us is more. We are to love each other with brotherly affection. To open our hearts wide to each other. Church, the evidence of our redemption, of our transformation in Christ, is our love. The love of God is to be at work in and through His people. Let me ask you, is your love for the people around you, the people of this church, the people not of this church, but who are like you and I and are adopted into the family of God, is it your love for them that is just pragmatic and formal, or is it personal and deep in your soul? Do you love these people more than anyone else? more than other friends, more than your blood family who are not in the body of Christ. Understand with me that if the love of God is at work in you, it produces deep, true, lasting love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This means you will not just up and leave when something doesn't go your way or if you get offended or you're let down by them. No, because this is family this is your family this is your eternal family and we are to deeply love each other now something you might be thinking if honest what if i don't feel this tender affection for some of these people maybe you can think of several people that you do not feel this way about You're seeing this morning a calling of God in your life to to love them well, to love them deeply. And yet your honest evaluation of yourself is that's not where I'm at with some of these people. Let me offer you a few practical things to practice so that you can grow into what God is calling us to do in bearing with one another in love. First, 
Pray for the Spirit's power. We need to pray earnestly that God the Holy Spirit would move on your heart. Work the miracle that neither you or I can work on our own. We're talking about a supernatural transformation of the heart. Pray that God would change your heart towards this brother or sister. That he would create new affections in you for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, focus on the heavenly identity of your sibling. Keep your eyes focused on the heavenly identity and not your earthly frustrations or critiques. See, we tend to focus almost exclusively on the ways we've been hurt or disappointed. And brother, sister, hear me, that will let you down every time. It will turn you away to be disobedient to what God's called you to do. Pastor John Piper makes this point well in something I once heard him say. He said, there is a greater reality to think about and focus on. You must make an effort. Focus on the reality of God's fatherhood. When you think about a Christian that is hard to feel affection for, say to yourself, God is her father. God is his father. When you think of her, think God is her father. And then say, God is my father. We have the same father. Jesus is her savior and my savior. The same blood bought, blood that bought him or her, bought me. The same Holy Spirit indwells him or her that indwells me. The same love flows from God towards him or her that flows to me. This is my sister. This is my brother. We will live forever in this same household, in the same family. We will live forever together with joy in the presence of our Father in our new heavenly dwelling. Preach these things to yourself, brother, sister. May you know the truth and may the truth set you free from many defective emotions. Don't keep feeding defective emotions with, with mere earthly thoughts about how you were wronged or how you were let down. Don't let that feed God knows that. He's going to take care of that with justice. He will settle that account. Set your minds on the great realities that make you and them a Christian to press you into true love and bearing with one another. Number three, remember Christian love is a growing thing. Church, keep in mind that love is not an all-or-nothing thing. It's a growing thing. It's a sanctifying thing. You may feel some affection towards a fellow believer, but also wrestle with other negative emotions. That does not mean you're not a Christian. It means you're at war with the flesh, that you're trying to be led by the Spirit. Keep on, weary soldier, and know that God will refine you as you press into Him and His Word. Paul prays in this very way in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now back to our verse. Verse 2, Ephesians 4.2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. Notice in the context of Paul's words how patience is a critical predecessor in our verse for bearing with one another in love. May we never forget how patience the Lord was with us so that we will be patient to bear with one another. Paul essentially doubles down on calling the saints to practice patience with one another in what he says. 
but you might not catch it without some help. Look with me at the verse more closely. He says, with patience, and then he says, bearing with one another. Do you realize the word bearing is another way to say, be patient, or to put up with? Oh, how we need this counsel if we're going to truly keep the unity God bought for us in Christ, that he wants us to make much of it in our testimony. We need this because none of our brothers or sisters in Christ are perfectly in glory yet. So they are at war with their flesh and sin every day, and so are you. So if we are going to stay united for the sake of God's glory and our gospel testimony, we will need to be patient. We will need to bear with one another. Paul's emphasizing that our Christ-like call to show patience in bearing with a brother or sister in love, we are family, which means there will be a lifetime of seasons that we struggle and will need each other not to be harsh or conclusive, but patient and forbearing. Here's the reality. More mature Christians do this better than less mature Christians. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is at work in them. Because they have seen the God-honoring good that comes with pushing back the flesh that wants to divide and give people what they're due and instead looks to be patient to love and walk with them unto the finish line. I say this because if you're struggling with the application of the command in your daily life to be patient and bear with one another in love, you likely need to lean on a more mature brother or sister in Christ and ask them to help you to do what God's Word is calling you to do, to pray for you, to counsel you. You might need to ask them to remind you of these truths and help you back to them in your application. This is okay. This is good. It's, it is making every effort to practice these things well so that we honor God. Paul gets into this in the next layer of why we must do this often and well in verse 3. Look with me. Ephesians 4.3, he says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's focus on that first part. Church, this is such an important verse for us. You need to know where this verse is in Holy Scripture. You need to remember it. So let's slow down and really dive into what Paul is commanding us to do here so that we can apply it, not only now, but in the coming days, weeks, and lifetimes, so if God so wills. First, the word eager here is, is more fully translated to make every effort to be diligent. It includes emphasis that implies urgency to make haste. So it's the opposite of making excuses, staying busy with other things. No, this is a priority. When it's revealed, you are diligent to get to it. You don't make some effort, occasional effort. You make every effort. We are to be quick or urgent to make every effort. To do what? To maintain the unity of the Spirit. We're going to come back to that in a, in a moment. But second, notice what it says. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You can't maintain something unless you already have it. So this means unity is not something that we, the church, are to come up with or produce on our own. It's not something we attain. It's something we maintain. Why? And this is critical that we see this rightly. Because you need to see who you are in Christ. You need to see rightly what you've been given in your salvation. So that you don't live out of a false reality with misunderstanding. So that we can thrive and live what God's called us to do based on what God has given us. Church, unity 
is what we have when we are restored to the Holy Trinity in salvation. When we are forgiven of our sin, we are given Jesus' righteousness, we no longer are separated from God and each other because of our sin. We are brought into reconciled fellowship with God and each other. We have this, watch, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Only by the grace of God is true and lasting unity attainable. We can't earn our way into unity. We are united to God and each other because of Christ. This is Paul's point in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are one. What once divided us is paid for, and our position is changed. So that we who are in Christ are truly united, even though we might still be different ethnicities, different genders, different socioeconomic status. We are one because of the will of God, because of the work of Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is truly great news. Christian, do you truly see and savor who you are in Christ? What you've been given? And let me say, if you don't feel united, included, if you don't feel invited, it doesn't mean you are not. You are united, not because of anything you have done, not because of anything anyone else has done or hasn't done. You are united because of what Christ has done, and it is finished. Amen? So we must start from truth that declares our unity in Christ and then work on the practical outplay of that unity especially in the making of every effort to maintain it. Now, hear me clearly. We don't maintain it in a way whereby we are at risk of undoing what Christ completed, but we maintain it in a way of keeping the beauty of it. In keeping, watch this, the truth of it on display. When we don't maintain it, we lie about the unity we have with God and each other. The testimony of our unity is a huge reason. Church, think about this. Why God gives you and I another day under the sun instead of just taking us home. The display of the unity that the blood of Jesus has bought for us. That of what it is to be in the kingdom of God. It is so essential that we take so seriously these words to make it a true, diligent priority and so that we do not become complacent or impatient with each other in disunity. This is a big moment in the life of faith. For you as an individual, for us as a church, because God willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's revealed today that you are complacent with disunity among the brethren, that is sin. And you must go to work in doing business with it today, in your heart and with each other. Hear the seriousness of it today, church. Lean in and take note of what this is that the Lord our God is calling us to. Listen to Jesus' historic prayer to the Father before being arrested and giving His life on the cross for our salvation. 
cries out, John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us, church. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Church. Hone in on what Jesus is pleading for. I've always found value in thinking about this prayer, this high priestly prayer, as, as this critical moment, this deathbed confession, this this last plea, and what the video camera is rolling, and we're getting to watch. What does he want for us? He wants us to be united. The standard of our unity, church, is not low. It is extremely high. How high? The unity of the Holy Trinity is the depth of the unity. Jesus is crying out that we would know. And why is it so important in Jesus? Verse 21, so the world would believe. And verse 23, so the world would know that Jesus was sent... And that they too are loved as he is loved. He's praying for the testimony of the church. He's praying for the elect. All those that he intends to save. See how central our unity is to that. Hear Jesus' prayer for you and me. Hear his heart for unity. We do not tell the truth about the united eternal family of God when we are content to not make every effort or when we are perpetuating disunity among us. We must truly make every effort to maintain this precious unity that we've been entrusted with. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson once said, just as we work extra hard to protect a precious family heirloom so do christians work extra hard to protect and maintain the unity of the body of christ as there are many sinister powers and enemies who work to tear it apart and or even try to destroy it and so i ask you how do you tell the truth about what it means to be united to God and to each other. It's everything Paul's commending us here in this text. That we're patient with each other. That we're bearing with one another. That we truly love each other with our deepest affections. The love of Christ at work in us. And that we make every effort to maintain unity. That means when we see sin at work, when we see disunity perpetuating itself, we go to work. We don't get busy with something else. The Lord is gracious to give us biblical direction about how we do this church. So let's take time this morning to consider the practical ways we are to maintain unity among the brethren. For example, if you see a brother or sister in sin, you owe it to that brother or sister to help him or her see their sin in humility, in peace, in love. If a brother or sister hurts you with words or actions, you are called in Christ to practice forgiveness and conflict resolution with that blood-bought family member for the purpose of the restoration. No matter the cost. No matter how close you are to them. Sometimes we're like, I'm not really close to that person. This is going to be really hard and weird. No, it doesn't matter. The scriptures are not saying you do this with people that you feel like really close to. No, it, it says you do this with people who you are a family with. 
blood-bought brothers and sisters, no matter how much you like them or don't like them, relate to them or don't relate to them, how much you're intimidated or not intimidated by them. Church, hear Paul say we must be diligent, urgent to maintain true unity with each other. That means we do not let divisions or unresolved hurts, grudges, or unrepentant sin go undealt with. God takes very seriously the maintaining of unity in the body of Christ, and so must we. Hear his priority in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, 23-24. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're worshiping God. And you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. He's saying this is so important. Stop your active worship of me at the altar. Go be reconciled. Go make every effort to have that unity again and then come back to that worship time. If that's not an insight into how important this is, I don't know what else I don't know what else we could say. Why? Because the worship of God is the highest thing he's called us to. So so in this, do you see the urgency? Do you see how important it is that we take this seriously? He says, stop your time of worship to fix your disunity. Why? So that your worship is not hypocritical. Thankfully, the Lord gives us great insight into his word, how we go about this. Now, I want us to have some clarity this morning so that when, not if, but when this is needed, you're equipped to deal with it. As you prepare to be urgent, to be diligent, as you prepare to make every effort to maintain unity with your blood-bought family, Consider these important rules of engagement according to Scripture. So I've laid them out there for you in your notes. Number one, rule number one, keep the matter to yourself. Gossip only creates more division. And it doesn't honor Christ. We need to close our mouths. We need to stop using Christianese to justify gossip. We need to be better at saying less to each other about people's missteps and mishaps. Gossip is sharing something that is private with another or something that hurts a person's reputation in the eyes of another. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Uh, naturally, as a pastor, naturally we elders have a lot of insight as it's our job to walk with you, the flock, and to be in your lives and to, and to know you and be accountable for you. But even with each other as much as possible, with our wives as much as possible, we don't share. Why? Because I, the, we need to not create any kind of dissension or discord among the body. Because that's important. The only time it might be possible or appropriate to share a hurt or a situation with someone that it doesn't involve is when you are truly stuck in how to move forward in handling it. And you really truly need counsel as to how to go about it. And so you seek out a mature leader or a mature brother or sister in Christ. If you do that, there is some important guidelines that keep this from becoming gossip. Number one, that person is going to keep it to themselves. Because if they go on and share it with other people, now we have gossip. Number two, that person will give you the needed Christ-centered counsel to help you pursue biblical peacemaking. And or maybe even call you out to go, you know what you need to do, and maybe what you're really doing here is just wanting to gossip. So next time, let's not do this right? We're really fighting against gossip as much as possible. That even we as leaders don't get caught up in going, hey, yeah, tell me. I want to know. No. You don't want to know. You don't need to know. You don't need added layers to create dissension. 
Only when, when you need to know. Only when it's, when, when it's necessary for, for the shepherding of the flock. And that counsel must be given to pursue biblical peacemaking. Number three, now that person's on the hook to hold you accountable that you do it. Because if you never take that counsel and put it into action, what have they done? They've only gossiped and never pursued biblical peacemaking. So now the mature brother or sister is on the line to make sure that conversation happens and happens rightly. Turn with me to Matthew 18, and we see Christ lay out more important rules of engagement for dealing with disunity and breakdown among the unity and righteousness we're to have in the body of Christ. Matthew 18, 15 starts this instruction to say, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. This leads us to rule number two. Keep the circle small and be straightforward. Let's look at both of those. Number one, keep the circle small. Often the only step needed in solving a person-to-person issue of disunity, hurt, or sin is for one of the two people involved to initiate some face-to-face interaction. If hearts are focused on Jesus, then forgiveness, restoration, Repentance will prevail. If hearts are full of pride or anger or excuse making, then this step will not be very effective. But it is the necessary first step to take, according to Scripture. Two key things in this application, church. Number one, be prayerful before going into this kind of situation. I mean, how serious are we really taking this if we're not prayed up before we start this conversation? To truly ask the Lord to move on us. To truly ask Him to slay our flesh that we would honor Christ in all that we do and say. And then I would encourage you to pray together with that brother or sister before you even talk. And then to pray again when you're done. Jesus needs to be the center of peacemaking if it's really going to happen. Second, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's James 1.19. Let me, let me say something really critical. I want you to hear it. Being right is not the point of this interaction. That's your pride. Being heard is not the point of this interaction. That's a self-centered motive. Many get stuck on this and peacemaking never happens. With the best intentions, the brother or sister pursuing the person who did the hurt or is in sin is only focused on being right or being heard. They're not focused on honoring the Lord and on true peacemaking, so the whole thing breaks down. Christ being honored, church, is the point. So listen to each other and stay calm. Number two, be straightforward. Keep the circle small. Number two, be straightforward. Jesus says, show him his fault here in Matthew 18, 15. We are to be forthright. We are to speak honestly. Sometimes it's difficult to be straightforward and tell someone the heart of the matter. But restoration and improvement can only come when the issues are lovingly and clearly presented. The scripture says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, Proverbs 27.6. That means even if what you've got to say is hard, say it in love. Instead of beating around the bush or pretending like it's not there. Number three, be forgiving. Jesus says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. First of all, praise God. Praise God. Unity maintained. Mission accomplished. Second, once the matter is resolved, we should wholeheartedly forgive and not hold this matter against against each other any longer. Most problems are resolved at the two-person level when Christ is center. Forgiveness and restoration should be the expected resolution. Conclusion. But if 
the individual will not hear you or openly disagrees with your version of the problem, or the two of you have met and talked together and you're not satisfied with the outcome of the discussion, what are we to do next? Well, the word is clear. If, Matthew 18, 16, if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. This leads us to rule number four. The two should agree to share the matter with a trusted person or few in authority. In this small group setting, both parties should share their version of the issue or issues with mature brothers and sisters in Christ. Each person should come to the conversation in a spirit of prayer and humility, willing to submit to the counsel of others and any needed correction. Remember, the goal is unity in Christ. The goal is not to be right. Your disposition, our disposition needs to be, I want to honor the Lord in this. That's what I'm here to do. Those of us who bear the name of Christ should joyfully conform to the will of Christ. An open and honest discussion among people who are sensitive to godly principles will most often reach an amicable solution. As Proverbs 15.22 says, there is wisdom in the counsel of many. And so we benefit from that wisdom and we're blessed. Almost all problems are resolved at the two-person level. And if not, most are resolved at the small group level. Now, if the conflict or hurt is still not resolved, if the disunity is still in play in the small group setting, it's time to bring it before a more authoritative group look Matthew 18:17 if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church this brings us to rule 5 bring in the accountability and authority of the shepherds who God has charged to lead the church at this point this has become not just a personal issue but the unity of the body of Christ is in jeopardy It's become a church issue. Do you realize that your sin not dealt with is not just your issue, it affects us all? Remember the unity of the bride of Christ is what at stake. Not just your reputation or this unique friendship. It's bigger than that. The goal here is to seek biblical counsel, wisdom, and authority from church leadership. The shepherds God's put in your life to lead you through tough moments like this. And you need to want to listen to them. Want to honor the reality that they've been called and qualified to lead you in this. And you are not. They're the shepherd. You're the sheep. That's not demeaning. That's a God reality he's put in play to be a blessing to you. If there's still no repentance with the help of plurality and leadership of the church, then what you have is a testimony issue. An issue with unrepentant sin, which is not telling the truth about the gospel. It is not testifying the unity of the body of Christ. And this leads us to rule six. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The unity of the body of Christ is so big that if there's those who claim the name of Christ but refuse to repent, refuse to fight for that unity and want to stand on their own, they are to be treated as not a part of the body of Christ. Why? Because the body of Christ is united. And if you are standing fast to say, on my own, I'm not part of that, then you are saying, I'm not a part of the body of Christ. As right as you think you are. And the church is to know about the situation and distance themselves from you because you are not testifying the unity of the body of Christ as the gospel is intended to be testified. Rule 6, if there's still no repentance, then discipline and removal is warranted. They're removed. The church is told because their lack of repentance is not testifying and or maintaining the unity of the body of Christ. The hope is in this, that they would come to their senses, that there would be some repentance, and therefore the declaration would be able to be made known back to the church that this is a brother or sister in good standing. To love them and practice the one another's with them and pray for them again. 
Church, understand with me, there is no such thing as disunity in the body of Christ. We are one. If we are not one, if someone is not united, they are to be treated as not a part of the body of Christ. We must make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit that lives within us. It is the Spirit of God, church. It is the power of God that we're talking about. The unity of the Spirit. This means it's not trivial and it's not haphazard. It is absolute. Praise God for the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to work in us individually and together as the body of Christ. May we be diligent and urgent and faithful to do what God's Word calls us to do. May we not make excuses or fear conflict. I know that's real for a lot of you. I I know sometimes there's a true longing to be obedient to this, but you are so consumed with fear over the idea of conflict that you don't obey this command. Can I just love you enough to say that is sinful? That's on you to overcome that fear and to do what God says is good. I've had many people walk into my office to have a hard conversation with me. And and, and there's something about the position. There's something about the uniqueness of it. To the point where I've literally had people trembling as they sit before me. Crying right off the bat. And so I effort to love them and lead them in prayer. And we work through it. And I love it when they say at the end, I had nothing to be nervous about or scared about. Thank you for loving me as Christ calls you to. And I just, I want you guys to know that. I want us to know that with each other. And that there's steps. If the process breaks down, there's steps to rally around and to be helped. It's not a one undone. God will be at work in this. Can I also just quickly say, when dealing with unity, it's not, it's not here, but it's worthy of saying, there's a lot of liberty, Christian liberty, we're given in Christ. And we need to be really careful to not say that in matters of Christian liberty, you have to do it the way I want you to do it. And, and let's be careful to not level each other with thinking of that person in a disunited way because in matters of Christian liberty, they do it a little different than you do. The unity of the body of Christ is too central to our testimony of the gospel and the power of God at work within us to make light of this and to set it aside and to not make every effort to see it resolved. So so let's just do business with it real quick before we move on to the last. Who do you need to seek out to forgive, to seek resolve with? Who do you have unresolved conflict or hurt with? Do you realize it's not on them to come to you? It's on you to make every effort to maintain the unity in the Spirit. Who do you need to do business with in order that the unity of the body of Christ is steadfast and on display? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's look at that last few words, the bond of peace. The bond we have as Christians is a bond of peace. You must understand that the peace you have as a Christian is not circumstantial and it's not man-made. It's the peace of Christ. The simple fact is, we don't, if we don't have Christ peace at work in us, we will not have true and lasting peace among us. Any peace, real peace, is of Christ. 
And any peace that you find that's outside of Christ, it is circumstantial and therefore temporary and therefore it's fleeting. We must understand this difference to see the potency of what Paul is saying here. Jesus himself helps us with this. In John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. When Jesus says he's leaving you and I peace, he's not saying he leaves us a world without war or chaos. He's saying, I am peace. I am shalom. I am holistic peace in your life. I am peace for you in the midst of crazy hard circumstances in this life. Church, understand that Jesus fought and won the fight so that we could know lasting peace. This is the potent words we see in Isaiah 53.5. He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Only in and through Jesus can you have true and lasting peace. Only when your foundation, your treasure is in Christ, can you experience real shalom in the midst of the hardest times of life. And just as unity is important for our testimony in these God-given days, so is peace. Because it shows a watching world that you're rested in him and not undone by your circumstances like the rest of the fallen world is. I love how Paul speaks to this in chapter 4 of his letter to the church of Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Fix on Christ. Go to him in prayer. Trust him with faith. And do you notice in verse 7, he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts. And then in verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. I've made this point before. It's important we continue to understand and make it. It is one thing for us to seek the peace of God. And it's an entirely different thing to seek the God of peace. You, will, you won't know the peace of God unless you know the God of peace. You'll only pray and pursue God when you're in trouble for what he can give you. No, when you approach God's peace this way, you're not resting in Him. You're not, you're not walking in Him. You're not enjoying Him in all times. You're only going to Him for what you want to get out of Him. We must first seek and know and rest in the God of peace so that we can then know and live in the peace of God. Only then can we have the bond of peace, as Paul's praying for, and lasting unity in our life and relationships. Church, see with me today, all of the chaos, all of the screaming, all of the fires, all of the politics, all of the hatred, all of the fighting and unrest will never stop among mankind until these people know the God of peace. There'll never be unity among the human race until they know the unity of the body of Christ. This is why 
you must do these things and testify these things because shame on you if you're not and just watching the world burn. Because the answer is in the gospel. The answer is in the testimony of the gospel in the church. It is our voice. It is our truth. It is our testimony to a world on fire. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. We must See how important unity and love and peace is to this journey we're on. Don't fool yourself to think that because you think you can sweep it under the rug and pretend everything's okay, that your worship to God is authentic. It's not. It's hypocritical. So that your worship is authentic, we, we maintain this unity. We do this work. Some of you need to take this real serious in the coming days and weeks because you've been putting it off. And I'll just say it again. Therefore, you're in sin. But by the grace of God, here we are to this passage on this day to do this work in our lives. Beloved, you need to do this so that your worship to God is one that is honest and real. So that your testimony to a watching world desperate to be brought into the fold is honest and real. If you don't pursue unity and restoration with others as God's word has made clear, then be very concerned. Because it could be very real that God is therefore not on the throne of your life. You are. If you've allowed hurts and division or sin to continue and play out, this is not okay. Matthew 5.19, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This is simple and yet very profound. Think about it with me. If you are a peacemaker, you are a son of God. It's evidence that you're saved and belong to Him. It's that simple. Take that in for a moment. And I'll just say, consider what the opposite might say about you. Paul says these things to the church, not only here in Ephesians, but all throughout his letters to the churches. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, hear this, as far as it depends on you, depends on you, stop saying it belongs to them. No, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers, live in peace. What God wants His family to be known for is our true love for each other, our ongoing unity in Christ together. Because broken fellowship is nothing but a disgraceful testimony to unbelievers. Let me close by saying this. Patiently bearing with one another in love diligently, urgently making every effort to maintain unity with one another, living in a bond of real and lasting peace with one another, can I just tell you, can I say it out loud because I know you're feeling it, is not natural. (laughs) And it's not easy. Our flesh is quick to be upset. It's selfishness and laziness and arrogance and pride are often so quick to make excuses, to avoid, to turn another way, or even just to walk away. Praise God that He's breaking our flesh down, replacing our hard hearts with living hearts of love and grace and mercy and patience and peace. Praise God for the finished work of Christ, the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God to endure all His true children to the end. Praise God for His work in our church, May each one of us go to work, not just in being hearers today, but being doers of this word. Amen? The Lord's Supper is before us this morning, and I can't think of a more perfect lead-in than this message.
The Lord's Supper Church is often referred to as communion. This is because a big part of the testimony of the Lord's Supper is our unity as the body of Christ. We commune together to testify the unity of what Jesus has done to to buy us, to, to redeem us into this family. The unleavened bread and the the, the cup, the wine that's being brought out right now as we prepare. They're symbols of Christ's body and blood. They're, they're symbols to tell a story about what Christ has done to forgive sin. And when we partake in that, we're testifying what He's done to save us. We're testifying of the unity He's purchased for us to have. So this is why when Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and they're so disunified and so dealing in unrepentant sin, he, he rebukes them. And so I just want to read you a portion of that text as we prepare. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Church, one of the ways you need to do business with this is in just your general life. Is there areas of unrepentant sin, perpetual sin that you've continued to make excuses about and you're not truly going to war, bringing in accountability, confessing and turning from those things to not do that business, but then to have the Lord's Supper is to grossly lie about who you are in Christ. You need to do business with that stuff. You need to know the power of God is within you in order to confess and repent from it. The body of Christ is available to you to walk that out. Does that mean you have to be in perfect stat- standing to, to do the Lord's Supper? Absolutely not. We won't be until we're in glory. But it means you truly, authentically are doing business with that sin. And if not, you need to do that first. Another way that we need to examine ourselves is in this matter of unity. We lie about what this is. If even among you in this very church, you have disunity with people, and yet your testimony to a watching world of unbelievers who are watching today is to say that we're united in Christ. I love you enough to say, don't lie about that. What does that mean? That means leave your worship at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother or sister first. It means maybe you don't take the Lord's Supper this morning, but what you do is go find that brother or sister and say, I love you, Christ loves us, and some stuff I want to talk out with you. Can we meet sooner than later to do that? And take that step. You You don't have to go deal with that right now. Maybe you decide to. But take the step in pursuing it. You know, don't say, hey, we'll get together in you know, July of 2022. You're finally remembering. Oh, yeah, well, hey, we need to talk. It doesn't work. That we make every effort to get to these things, church. Okay? So I, I want to tell you right now, if there's work that we need to do, and therefore many less of us go to this table today, praise God. Because that means there's work that's about to get done. That honors God and, and, and makes honest the testimony we have in Christ. Okay? Let us take this time at the table so seriously and honor Him with it. I'm going to pray. Music team's going to come up and lead us in a couple songs. you got a couple songs to do business with this. Thankful for our team of volunteers helping us with all these facets. Um, come prayerful. Come humble to this time as we announce what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you're here today and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, then repent of your sin, trust your life to Jesus, be saved, and come and dine with us. If that's not you, 
then observe this time. Consider these words, and we'd love to talk and walk with you in, in the road ahead. The tables around are prepared to honor our unique COVID circumstances and how all this has been prepared under mask and glove. The unleavened bread, the cup of wine or juice is available when you're ready. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together to worship you, to, to celebrate you, to study your holy word, to do business with these things, Lord. What a blessing it is to arrive today, maybe be convicted of some real and ongoing sin that we need to do business with, and therefore we do that business and, and honor you and glorify your name and make authentic the testimony of Christ in us. Lord, help us to see that this is a road we're on, and maybe not the first time or the last time that we'll have to do this. And so be it, that we would be obedient to what you've called us to, that we would honor you, that we would not be right in our own minds, self-justified, but most convicted to glorify you, the living God, in these things. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this family. I thank you for our blood-bought family that's worshiping you all throughout the world this very morning. You've done a marvelous thing. Lord, what a blessing it is to know you, to walk with you. And so we celebrate our rock and our redeemer now in this time as we testify the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.